Broncos cheerleaders, and you're listening to Sports Crunch with DCROM. Good morning, wherever or whenever you catch a kittens are. This is Sports Crunch with DCROM. I'm your host, David Cromelo, and my fellow men... The male dominance of the sports industry is at the beginning of its end, as the role of women in the sports world is expanding at an historic rate. And by the way, that is a wonderful thing, not just for women, but for all of us. As a man myself, let me say that I frankly would not, not be doing this podcast today and enjoying the successes that have come with it had it not been for empowered women in sports. And that is why I decided to begin a Women in Sports series here on Sports Crunch with the goal of promoting and further empowering women at all levels of the sports industry, from athletes and managers to cheerleaders and reporters. And here today to kick off that series is an exceptional woman who has had a profound influence on me, not just as a sports media personality, but as a human being above all else. She is my good friend, Romy Bean, who is currently a sports anchor and reporter for CBS4 in Denver. It is an absolute honor to have you with us, Romy. How are you doing? I'm doing so well, Decrom. It is so great to be here. Thank you for having me on, and, and I love what you're doing, and I'm excited to be a part of it. Excited to have you as well, Romy. And uh, without further ado, let's get started. And as you know, this past year and a half or so has been monumental and historic for women. We obviously witnessed the first woman to be elected vice president in American history, but the pro sports world is where a significant amount of these glass ceilings have been shattered. In the NFL alone, we saw the first two full-time woman coaches to win a Super Bowl in Lori Locust and Moral Javadafar of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And in recent weeks, Kelly Klein and Katherine Raich, with the Broncos and Eagles respectively, became the highest level female scouting executives in NFL history. Moreover, the Eagles promoted Amina Soliman, who is Muslim, to pro scout, a move some would consider unthinkable in the NFL. Also, in the NBA, two women, Becky Hammond and Teresa Weatherspoon, received high consideration for two of the vacant head coaching jobs. And in Major League Baseball, Kim Ang became the first woman GM in league history. What will be the next major glass ceiling to be shattered in pro sports? Will it be the first woman NBA head coach, the first woman NFL GM, the first woman NFL offensive or defensive coordinator, or something else? Uh, You know, I definitely think the first female NBA coach is kind of the next big one coming, and I do think it's going to be Becky Hammond. Uh, Yeah, she was a big favorite for a lot of jobs this year, and you kind of read the the reaction now that she didn't get hired, a lot of people upset that she didn't get the opportunity, but I don't think that she's going to have to wait long for the opportunity. And frankly, I think her best opportunity would be to wait it out in San Antonio because she's so comfortable there. They're so comfortable with her. I think Pop is going to choose to hang it up one of these days and she would just be such a perfect fit. I think that would be a great transition. So I think, she, I think you know, she might get poached somewhere else sooner, but I think Becky Hammond's really going to be uh, the next one to, to get an NBA head coaching job. Oh, I completely agree. There's nobody more qualified to be the first woman NBA head coach than Becky Hammond, in my view. And speaking of uh, all the outrage of her getting passed over, don't you think uh, Damian Lillard may be outraged that she got passed over the Blazers job personally, which is why he might want out of Portland? Um, I'm not quite sure about that because honestly, I know he was a big fan of Chauncey. He was, um, rallying for Chauncey. He came up and defended Chauncey after there's been a a little bit of fallout from that. So I'm not sure. I mean, that that could potentially be a factor, but I don't think that that is. 
Um, however, I know that, you know, I do think Dame has great respect for Becky Hammond and would have uh, been, been very happy for her to be a head coach. But I don't think that's the reason he wants out. I'm not sure for sure, though. You never know, right? You never really know what's going on behind the scenes of this stuff. So who knows? Who knows indeed. And uh, continuing on with our women in sports theme, before you entered the full-time world of sports broadcasting, you were part of an elite sisterhood for seven NFL seasons. That sisterhood is obviously the Denver Broncos cheerleaders, and it's an exceptional group of women that I personally credit for helping me build the self-confidence to do what I do right now. How did your experience as a Broncos cheerleader help make you into the strong, powerful woman you are today? And how pivotal were those seven years at getting you ready to go into sports media? Oh, my goodness. I mean, the Denver Broncos cheerleaders, my experience there was so crucial to the woman that I am today. Um, when I made the team, I was 18 years old. You have to be 21 to try out now, but I was 18. So I was truly a young lady. I was a girl um, and I grew up on that team. I really did. I quickly had to learn how to uh, behave, react, everything, represent a professional organization. So from 18 years old uh, on, that organization has shaped me, has built me, has helped empower me to achieve my dreams. And, and absolutely, there's no way that I am here where I am today without the Denver Broncos cheerleaders, um, not just for the people I met through it, but everything I learned, uh, how I learned to hold myself as a woman, to you know, let stuff roll off my back, any sort of kind of thicken my skin a little bit. There's so many, there, I can't even point to just one or two things. There are so many things about being a DBC that has shaped me into the woman that I am today and has also taught me how to empower other women and to support women. And especially in sports, I think that has really carried through for me because this is an industry where it's very cool. There's a lot of women who really, really support each other. Um, and, and I first learned that on, on DBC. So to be able to carry that into this career is very cool as well. And, and again, I'll just go back to I would not be where I am today if it was not for the seven years that I spent on that team growing as a person, as a woman, meeting people and, and learning kind of how I wanted to be perceived and, and what I wanted to do with my life. Oh, absolutely, Romy. I definitely uh, understand where you're coming from here. And uh but what makes your experience with the Broncos cheerleaders extra interesting is that you took a, a four-year hiatus, so to speak, in between your fifth and your sixth years. What made you want to return, and how did uh, returning to the Broncos cheerleaders help uh, cement uh, where you're at right now? Yeah, I had a very uh, unconventional path. Again, I made it when I was so young the first time, so by the time I was graduated with college, I had completed my first stint, if you will. I moved out of state um, and I came back and, you know, when I came back, I was, I was searching for something and I wasn't sure what it was I was searching for, uh, but I was in a sales job and it was okay, but I, you know, it wasn't super fulfilling. And I just, on the simplest level, I said to myself, I want to do more. And from my past experience with DVC, I, I got to knew that that was an avenue that we do so much work in the community. I mean, thousands of hours a year of, of community work. And uh, I miss being a part of the community on that level. I miss working and meeting people from all over Colorado, Broncos fans, and even not Broncos fans. Uh, so I think initially it was just the desire to get involved again in the community, in charity work. And I knew that, that Broncos would afford me that opportunity. So I, I took the risk. I wasn't sure I was going to make it again because I hadn't been dancing for a while, but I got back into studio. I got back into dancing and 
really, I have to say that second stint is what propelled me to, to where I am more so than that first stint. Uh, when I, when I tried out again, it was very unusual. No one at that time had taken four years off and tried out again. So, um, I went on the radio to talk about it and that really was where everything kind of dominoed from there. And that started this impetus of, wow, I, I, you know what, I think there's something more that I want to do in this media business. Can I do it? How can I do it? That's a whole nother story. But it was returning to Broncos that really started it all for me and that really has put me where I am today. Oh, what an amazing, inspiring story, Romy. And uh, you mentioned about uh, women in sports uh, really supporting each other. And as I alluded to in the intro, that's good not just for women, but it's good for men too. Uh, Why would you say that's also good for men as well? You know, I think that there's just in... hmm, It's a great question. You know, I think there's just in every avenue of life and every workplace, it's, it's not about if you're a man or a woman, it's about if you're most qualified. And I think that the doors have opened so much in so many industries where it was previously kind of closed to that, to both men and women realizing that we can learn from each other, that we have different skills that we can bring to the table and that, you know, diversity makes us stronger. There's, you know, you can learn so much from people who aren't like you. You know, they often say when you travel, that's when you learn the most about yourself because you immerse yourself in cultures that you're uncomfortable with. I think men and women really integrating in all sorts of professions, but especially in the sports world, I think has just shown us all, hey, you know what? At the end of the day, we're really not all that different. We all bring something different to the table, however, and that only makes us better as a whole. And I think everyone has really embrace that because it's true. We bring different things. We think differently. And that only makes us better as a whole. So I think all around, it's just good for everyone. There's certain things that certain people are better at and certain things that others are. But to have the ability, the opportunity to work with all different kinds of people only makes us better. Truth, 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 truth. Keep preaching that truth, Romy. And, uh, during your seven years on the team, did you ever encounter anyone giving you hell and or stereotyping you for being a cheerleader? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of part of it, but you learn early on, I think, how to handle it. It's also a good lesson in getting a little bit of thick skin. You know, a lot of times what I learned as being a cheerleader is that the the people that really want to come and heckle you are the people that, just like the trolls on the internet, they don't really want to know what you do. They don't really want to know how cheerleaders contribute to the community. They just they just want to be mean to be mean. And, you know, that's kind of like in any walk of life. There are people that just want to be a troll to be a troll. But one thing I really did learn is there were people that would maybe heckle a little at first. And it was very cool to have the opportunity to open their eyes to actually – we do this, this, and this in the community. Actually, I'm on the team with nurses and engineers and teachers and business owners. And to see people kind of say, oh, wow, I, I had no idea. I learned early on that it, it was almost an opportunity to change someone's mind and change someone's opinion. And, and I found that very empowering. We go back to empowerment, right? People can come in with that stereotype, but as opposed to just saying, Ugh, you know, who are you? sit down and try and talk with them. And and if they're willing to talk and willing to learn, it's very cool what you can learn on both sides and how it makes everyone a better person. I am glad you said what you just said because uh, 
and I admire uh, your thick skin, by the way, but what personally sickens me about those who peddle stereotypes surrounding professional cheerleaders is, as you said, how ignorant, ignorant they are of who the women wearing the uniform are off the field, especially considering the fact that several NFL cheerleaders, including three current Broncos cheerleaders and good friends of mine who will keep anonymous for the sake of privacy, are full-time nurses who literally risked everything to protect us during this COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, that's why I kind of take it personally, given the generosity everybody has, has shown to me, the fact that there are people out there who are just blind to who these women truly are, uh, I'll just never understand. And uh, I always get infuriated when I come across uh, such comments. And uh, I have much less thick skin than you in this department, for the record. But, uh, but it all goes to empowerment and what us men can do to create the best possible environment for women, not just in sports, but in any other industry. So what can me and my fellow men do to help ensure a safe, healthy workplace environment free from such stereotypes and all other forms of sexual harassment for all women in sports and in any industry? You know, I think it's a lot of it's just just basic, you know, treating people with respect. Would you do that to your sister? Would you talk to your mother that way? I guess that's a really simple way to think about it, right? But I mean, on both sides, I think it's being open, talking to each other and, and appreciating the differences that other people bring and being not afraid to have the conversations of, does this make you uncomfortable? Does this not make you uncomfortable? You know, and I think everybody's different. So everybody has a, a different level of kind of comfort in, in those situations. But I, I don't know, I guess at the core of it, Decrom, I feel like it's just having a basic level of respect as someone as a human. You're not a man or a woman working in this business. We're all people working in this business, working for the greater good, trying to get something done. And you know, um, it's almost it's almost a waste of time to spend focusing on someone's gender. Just look at them as the person that they are. What skills do they bring to the table? It doesn't matter what gender you are. What what race you are, what religion you are. I mean, that's a whole broader subject, right, I guess. Yeah. But it really just comes down to the basic level of respect, looking at someone for what they bring to the table, for who they are, not for the things on the outside that maybe in the past was okay to stereotype with. But at the same time, I also feel like we are living in a world where that gets better every day, where there's attention brought to it every day, where I think for the most part, and it's all different, but... For example, me at CBS, I work with an incredible team. I work with all men and they are amazing. They have never made me feel inferior for being a woman. They have pushed me if my work hasn't been good enough, but that's that's based on my work. It's never once been um, because I'm a female. And I understand that that's also rare. I feel very lucky for the team that I am with uh, at CBS. They're incredible, they really are. And I can only hope that that is like that everywhere. But even so, I know when I first joined, it was it was a little weird for them. It had been it had been the guys' department. It had been the locker room for decades and decades. So that was a learning process. And you know what? We just took it day by day, and we learned from each other. And I think we're all better people for it. We most certainly are. But sadly, way too many men in high-profile positions in the sports world still don't abide by what the new standard should be. And uh, it was revealed yesterday that the Washington football team was fined uh, $10 million uh, 
based on an investigation into allegations of sexual harassment and similar issues in their workplace. But it was nothing more than a slap on the wrist. And the uh, lawyer that compiled the report, she didn't even release a single word of it, which is even more troubling. And uh, the attorneys for the uh, plaintiffs that sued the the Washington football team were very disappointed uh, in the outcome. So it So as uh, journalists in the sports media world, regardless of whether you're a freelance podcaster like me or work full-time for a major network like yourself, should we pay more attention to these things that go on in the NFL or have been accused of going on in the NFL and shine a bright light on it to potentially expose people like Daniel Snyder for who they are? I I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. Because as long as we're letting people get away with it, they're going to keep doing it. You know, And, and there is as much as... I try and look at it through a positive lens and I try and focus on the people that are so open and that it, it never is a problem. You're absolutely right. It still is a problem in many, many places. Um, again, not, not my current place I worked, but in, in places before I had to deal with a lot of that and, and it was very uncomfortable. And and a lot of times you're just expected to deal with it. And we see what happened in Washington. I mean, $10 million for, well, that's a lot for most of us, but for Daniel Snyder, that's like a, a Chipotle burrito. I mean, you know, the, the, really do something that really makes a different, you know, difference. You know, do something that really, really impacts whether it's his pocketbook or his ownership of the team, but something that is going to make him stop and think. Because does that make him stop and think? Hmm. I don't know. So I agree. Like you said, I think you need to keep shining a light on it, especially when it's as egregious as what happened over there, and to kind of just um, throw it under the rug, all that does is encourage that bad behavior to continue. So just as you said, you know, doing that is not okay. Indeed. And we intend to do whatever we can here on sports crunch, uh, to help, uh, women in sports, uh, shine a light on people that have done them wrong. Uh, in the in recent past and uh, moving back to you for a second you were a Broncos cheerleader in 2015 when the Broncos won Super Bowl 50 that was truly one of the most intriguing Super Bowl championship seasons I have ever watched it might be my Broncos fan bias but really it, it, it was aside from going to San Francisco mm-hmm. dancing at the Super Bowl and every postgame celebration that came afterward what were some of your most memorable moments from that epic season Oh man, you know, that was just, that was such a magical season. I I think honestly, it was the opportunity to be a part of a championship season. I mean, from start to finish and from top to bottom in the organization, you felt it. You felt like there is something special here. And that's an experience that had I not been a part of it, it, it's, it's almost hard to explain. But the work ethic, again, from the front office, to the players, to the cheerleaders, everything, you just felt there was this incredible sense of we can accomplish something big here. And to have the the chemistry, again, it threw out, you saw it on the team, you saw it on the defense, my goodness. Uh, for us and the cheerleaders, it was, it was a big thing. That was one of the closest teams I think I've ever been a part of. So just being a part of what really was a championship season was something – that I will uh, cherish. I'll cherish forever. And I learned a lot about it too. It was almost, you know, there was just everything, a lot of things fell into place. Everyone just wanted to work together. It, you know, it felt again, like you were working for something bigger. And I think that's something that I think back and reflect on a lot because I was there for a lot of different years. I was there for, uh, you know, 
a little bit of the Jake Plummer years. I was there for the Josh McDaniels years. And I can tell you that from top to bottom, what's going on with the team bleeds out to every, every single piece of the organization. And in 2015, it was, it truly did have in a sense, I guess, a family feel, whether we were out in the community and weren't having anything to do with the football teams. It felt like we were doing our absolute best to be the best champions in the community that we could be. So that's something that I just always will always treasure is, is the way everyone went about their business and a lesson to take forward, right? And in, in really when you're achieving the best and you're achieving it together, that's when you achieve the big goal. And, and I really think at the end of the day, my best memory though was, was getting to take my dad to the Super Bowl, and I'll be forever grateful to the Broncos for that. They let all the cheerleaders take a, a companion and I got to share that with my dad. And that's something that uh, I will be eternally grateful for and remember for the rest of my life. Oh, uh, that's uh, truly a magical season, Romy. And uh, one of uh, my Instagram followers uh, had a question and uh, he asked, did the cheerleaders get a Super Bowl ring? And if so, how similar or different is it to the ring the players received? The cheerleaders did get a ring and that was a, a, um, a part of the Pat Bowlen legacy. I don't know if it's still this way, but at least at that time, we were the only cheerleaders uh, to get Super Bowl rings. I know that the Patriots got beautiful necklaces. I believe the Seahawks got beautiful necklaces. So it wasn't that they didn't get anything um, by any means. But we, starting with those 98, 97, 98 seasons, Pat Bolin insisted that everyone in the organization, from the marketing department to the cheerleaders, everybody got a ring because he said everybody was part of that championship. And so... In the 2015 season and that 2016 Super Bowl win, we weren't sure. You know, there was uncertainty. Obviously, you know, Pat Bowen wasn't wasn't there uh, running operations anymore. But just they decided, no, we're absolutely going to carry on Pat's wishes, Pat's legacy. And we did get Super Bowl rings. And that's my favorite ring. It's my favorite piece of jewelry that I own. It's so cool. It is certainly not as big as the players. Um, the face, the face looks similar. The band is very thin. Um, and, but the face in essence, it has the, it's got the three Lombardis and it has the Bronco head. So it's, it, I would say it's a much more kind of, um, smaller, much smaller version of it, but it kind of has the same essence. It doesn't have all the cool stuff on the side with your name on it and everything, but we were just all so honored to even get a ring and the Broncos were so cool. They had a ring ceremony for the cheerleaders and the staff. It was separate from the players, um, but it was awesome. I mean, they, they pulled out all the stops to make sure, again, everyone felt like they were a part of that championship team. Do you still wear that ring when you're on the air? Uh, I, you know what? I usually wear it. I'll try and wear it during football season. Obviously, 2020 was like a wash, so I feel like I haven't worn it in forever. But uh, I try and wear it during football season on Sundays because sometimes, you know, when I first started in this job, I felt like, ooh, maybe I shouldn't wear that. But now I'm like, heck, I earned that. I'm absolutely going to wear it. I love wearing it. It's a fun talking point. So, yeah, I, I definitely uh, I wear it. And I also get inspired because Ryan Harris wears his big one all the time. So I'm like, <laughs> well, if he's going to wear it, I'm going to wear mine. You earned that one indeed, Romy. And uh, speaking of the Broncos, let's talk about the 2021 Denver Broncos, who are in their first season under new GM George Payton, who I thought had a very, very good first draft. However, the only thing that prevented me from giving it an initial grade of A 
was that Justin Fields, a potential top five franchise quarterback, was staring them right in the face. Yet the Broncos, and to be fair, several other teams drafting in front of them that could have used him, decided to pass. And uh, he ended up going to the other team that I spend 99% of my Sundays rooting for, the Chicago Bears, for the record. But uh, based on what you've heard, why did the Broncos decide to pass on Justin Fields and go with the current quarterback situation they have, which is arguably one of the five worst quarterback rooms in the entire NFL? Well, you know, I will say I think George Payton has done an incredible job since he's come to Denver. Obviously, it's only been a few months, but he has already just there's a different energy in the building. There is a different energy amongst the players. He really is here for the right reasons, wants to build a winning organization. So I'm very excited to see what's to come with George Payton. And, I, and frankly, I really liked his draft. I know that Justin Fields um, – was a little bit questionable, but from what I heard was it simply came down to there was not a consensus in the room. Half the room was really high on Justin Fields, half was not. And George Payton went with, uh, which I've got a lot of respect for this, there was every, he said every single person in that room was very high on Pat Sertan. There was not one person that did not like him. They could not believe he was still there uh, when the Broncos were drafting. And so what he did was went with the collective decision. And that says to me that he's not saying, oh, well, we're going this way because I want to go this way, right? He's listening to his whole group, and they made a decision together. So uh, I, I do have a lot of respect for that, and I think Pat Sertan is going to be fantastic. Now, you know, who knows? Five years down the road, the Bears could just be dominating everyone's Justin Fields, and it'll go down as a big oopsie. But, hey, they've been there before, a la Josh Allen. I mean, there's plenty. It's not like they haven't done this before, so they'll deal with it. But I think from at least from what I've heard, I like that they went on that decision because it was it was a collective decision in the room. Oh, that's some tremendous insider perspective there, Romy. Thank you so much for sharing that. And uh, as I said, aside from passing on fields, I really, really like this uh, Broncos draft class. Pat Sertan is as sure of a thing as there is when it comes to the cornerback position. Coming out of that Nick Saban defense at Alabama, going to a Vic Faggio defense, he should be ready to contribute immediately on day one. But also, Javante Williams uh, in round two, I thought that was a great pick. Yes, I understand uh, the talk about uh, trading up for running backs in round two uh, uh, is uh, not the best pick value-wise, which is true. But if you look at what George Payton did with the Vikings, uh, they traded up a similar amount of spots a couple years ago to take somebody named Dalvin Cook and Javante Williams is a running back with a similar pedigree as Dalvin Cook and he probably sees Javante Williams in that light as well. I really like that pick as well and and how they just traded down in the third round to get some excellent value picks at Quinn Miners, the gut himself, and Baron Browning who could potentially be a inside linebacker or if not a future edge rusher for the Broncos uh, should Von Miller depart after this year at day three potential steal and uh, Jamar Johnson safety from Indiana carry Vincent Jr. defensive back out of LSU uh, just a great trap with tremendous value all around what rookie would you expect to make the biggest impact in 2021 and I know you believe Patrick Sertan is but anybody aside from Patrick Sertan if possible yeah, I mean, I, I hate to go with the obvious ones, but I, I think Javante Williams is going to make a huge impact. I think that going into the season, I do think Melvin Gordon has that one spot. But uh, I think that if not this season, by next season, Javante Williams will have taken over. I think that he is going to make a huge difference. And here's the other thing. The reason I think he's going to be such a big impact is because he – it, because the quarterback situation is uncertain, that is going to free up so much if they're going to have to load the box sometimes because this guy runs like he just does not care, like he is going to run through a brick wall. Broncos have not had a running back like that in quite some time. 
this guy could be a game changer and could really open up the offense, uh, whether that be Drew Locke, Teddy Bridgewater, or hey, Aaron Rodgers, who knows, right? No matter who it is, Javante Williams can really open up the offense for a quarterback who is still finding his way. And so I think he is going to have an immense impact and, and uh, I guess a little bit of a uh, lower round pick. I, I think Quinn Miners has the potential to take uh, Lloyd Cushenberry's job. That's obviously not determined. We'll determine that in training camp, but he has the potential to make a pretty big impact uh, on the offensive line as well, depending on uh, who wins that job. Oh, that's going to be a very fascinating position battle uh, to watch between uh, Quinn Miners and Lloyd Cushenberry for the uh, uh, center job. And uh, back to Javante Williams for a moment. Uh, uh, yes, Melvin Gordon is probably going to start the season off as the starting running back, but would it surprise you if Javante Williams started off with a healthy workload, say 13 to 15 touches per game, and that eventually grew over the course of the season? Uh, definitely. I think, you know, and the one thing with Melvin Gordon is he sometimes is a little bit slow to start at the start of the season. And that could be a great opportunity for Javante Williams to jump in and make a big impact. You know, a lot of times with rookie running backs, they talk about that rookie wall and that happens, right? They're used to playing 12 games. So by December, that is a whole new experience for, for their body, for their minds, for everything. So I think depending on how did they utilize them if, if they can kind of keep his load not super heavy early on so that he can have a full season uh, I think he can be a big compliment to Melvin Gordon and those times when Melvin's not you know feeling himself I think you just throw in Javante Williams and I think that they feel confident that they have that kind of a guy that if Melvin isn't the hot hand give it to Javante and see what he can do and I think the two of them together can make a really strong just running back tandem we have you know you talk about kind of the old bell cow, and the Broncos haven't had anything like that in so long. I think the two of them together can do a lot of damage. It's going to be very interesting to see how that Broncos backfield does this season. And back to the quarterback situation for a moment. Arguably the biggest training camp battle Broncos fans will have their eyes on is the one between Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater to be the man under center week one against a very underrated New York Giants defense. And it's obviously way too early to tell. And Vic Fangio himself said it's a 50-50 competition. But based on the intel you have from people behind closed doors, would it be totally unsurprising if Teddy Bridgewater is the starter on September 12th? Or would he have to just absolutely beat out Drew Locke significantly to win the job right off the bat? You know, I think this is Drew Locke's job to lose. I, think, I don't think they brought in Teddy saying, oh, me is the starter. I think that they still believe Drew Locke has a lot of potential, but you know, the time of which they can kind of extract that potential is limited. So he's got to show quickly. But I, I don't think in any sense that they have given up on Drew Locke. I think they still feel like there's a lot there. And I think, I don't know, when it comes down to it, I think it'll come down to just a few little things. I think for Drew, is he still biting on those bait plays? Because he was in OTAs. And those are the ones that end up being the enormously costly turnovers that you can't have. If that's still happening... That could cost Drew the job. For Teddy, it's the complete opposite. Teddy is the king of the dump pass. But when he does that, he has missed open receivers. Is he willing to take the shots downfield and not pass up on the open receivers? Right? So I think it's going to be who shows the most improvement in their weaknesses. Because, you know, when it comes down to it, I don't think either one um, is just overwhelmingly beating out the other one. But I think it's whoever minimizes their mistakes the most. And, and I still think that this is Drew's job to lose. So if, if Drew can 
minimize his mistakes and those show that he's no longer biting on those bait plays. I think that's the biggest one for Drew. Then I think he starts week one. But if he can't, then uh, then then Teddy will take over because you know what they feel more they feel confident in Teddy's. You know he's been there. He's a veteran. He's a little bit of the safer option, if you will, right? So I think that Teddy is right there waiting in the wings, that if Drew messes up, Teddy will will be able to take over. But I, I don't think it's really a given either way. Uh, thank you for that update. And uh, let's say Drew Locke does uh, earn the week one starting job. Do you think uh, the leash on him or whoever wins that week one starting job will be pretty short? Yeah, I think so. I think it'll be really short for, you know, whichever guy it is because – I mean, this is going on, what, six years now that we've been trying to find a quarterback here in Denver, and the patience has just run thin for everybody. I mean, obviously the fans are out of patience, but inside the building because, you know, the quarterbacks make the world go round. It's, the, you know, they don't want to see the same mistakes. If they are seeing the same mistakes they saw last year, then that's going to be, you know, a death sentence for Drew. But if he's showing improvement, I, you know, then I think they stick with him. So, it, it's the NFL, right? The job of the quarterback is the most high profile and the leash is short and, and that's just the way it is. Indeed. And what other training camp battles will you be watching? You mentioned uh, the battle at center between uh, Lloyd Cushenberry and Quinn Miners. Any others come to mind? Yeah, I mean, I think those are the big ones. I think right tackle is is hugely important. It seems like Bobby Massey right now is the guy, but um, there's quite a few guys underneath, uh, behind him, excuse me, you know, Calvin Anderson that are going to be fighting for that job. And it'll be interesting because I think that one could go anyway. And that's a crucial position, right? It's the right tackle, you know, so they're solid on the left side. They still got to figure that right side out. I think that's probably the next biggest, uh, position battle. And after that, I think it really comes down to kind of a little bit lower on the depth chart, right? We know who the top wide receivers are going to be, who's going to get spot, you know, four and five, stuff like that will be uh, some of the bigger, some of kind of the bigger battles to watch. But the big ones, of course, are quarterback, right tackle, center, and you know what I think, running back too. It'll be interesting to see how they do split up the reps with Melvin Gordon and and Javante Williams and uh, and see how that one pans out. I think that's what we'll have our eyes on as well. But again, after that, I think it goes down to, just kind of, you know, who, who's making the, the lower end of the team, if you will. We will definitely be keeping an eye on that uh, in uh, less than four weeks' time. And uh, another big headline for this 2021 Broncos season is Vic Fangio and whether or not he has a long-term future working with George Payton to bring the Broncos back to NFL relevance. And my question is, would anything less, and I mean anything less, even an 8 or 9, 10-win season, uh, without making the playoffs, anything less than a playoff appearance this season cost Vic Fangio his job as head coach of the Broncos? Oh, I don't know. I mean, making the playoffs is crucial, but let's say they go 10-7 and seven and they don't make the playoffs. I don't know if that means his job, um, he loses his job. It, it kind of, that will kind of depend on George Payton's philosophy. I have... I know a lot of people feel like Vic Fangio's on the hot seat. I am from the school of thought after witnessing what's gone on the last six years that this whole just throwing people out the door after a few years has not worked. So clearly they need to try something different. Maybe a little continuity could go a long way for this team that has, you can't start over every year like they have been doing time and time again. However, I will say for me, the big things on Vic Fangio, the month of September, they are 0-7 with Vic Fangio in the month of September. If he cannot turn turn that around that means they're not going to make the playoffs and that 
is grounds for maybe making a, t a change. The other thing is, is game management. We saw how he struggled with clock management in games. That's probably the biggest thing. He has got to fix that. He has got to work on that, whether he relies on other people, whether he gives up some of the play calling, whatever that is. You know, just like Drew Locke has to show improvements in his game, Vic Fangio has to show it that he can be a head coach, that he can do not just what a coordinator does in the game, but also manage the clock, manage all the other business. So I think it's a lot more than just the playoffs. However, like you said, if they don't make the playoffs again at the end of the season, I mean, that could be a big factor, right? There is every year there's a crop of great head coaches that come up, and, and that's a job where, you know, you can't be failing to, to, to hold on to it. So I think a lot of things factor in, but yeah, I would say the playoffs are a big factor. This team is itching to get back there. It's been far too long. I mean, they have a historically long drought after winning the Super Bowl. I don't think ever any team has ever been out of the playoffs this many years afterwards. So yeah, that, that's a big factor, but I think it's the little things too that will determine whether he keeps his job or not. She is Romy B, ladies and gentlemen, sports anchor and sports reporter for CBS4 Denver. You can follow her on Twitter at Romy underscore Bean. Romy, thank you so much once again for joining us today. But before we let you go, we want some way too early predictions from you on this 2021 Broncos season. Who will be the 2021 team MVP for the Broncos this season? Ooh, team MVP. I'm going to go with uh, Cortland Sutton. How about that? Yeah. I agree. Uh, he was sorely missed last year, but putting him next to Jerry Judy and hopefully both of them stay healthy, that could be a scary one-two punch at wide receiver for whoever is quarterbacking the Broncos, whether it be Drew Locke, whether it be Teddy Bridgewater, or whether it be Aaron Rodgers. Still, still a remote possibility, but uh, you never know. Who will be the breakout player for the Broncos in 2021? Ooh, the breakout player, breakout player. You know what? I'm going to go with Jerry Judy because I think, I think you know, he's, he's, he still has a chance to break out. He hasn't broken out yet, and he can prove that he can, he's got over his dropsies. I'm going to go with Jerry Judy. Good minds think alike. Jerry Judy was my pick for this uh, honor as well. And uh, with him and Patrick Sertan, they're bringing a new turning of the tide, pun intended, ah. to the Broncos. And it feels so good to say that. Uh, who will be the bounce back player for the Broncos in 2021? Well, you know, I'm going to go with Bradley Chubb. I think we're going to get back to a double-digit sack season for Bradley Chubb with a healthy Bradley Chubb and a healthy Von Miller. I want to see that Bradley Chubb we saw his rookie season. Fingers crossed we see that happen as well. And, uh, what do you think the Broncos' final 2021 regular season record will be? What place in the division will they end up? And if they make the playoffs, what playoff seed will they be? Ooh. Okay, this is all going as if Aaron Rodgers is not coming here. Because if he does come here, I think my answers might be different. So this is without Aaron Rodgers, asterisk, on this one. Is that fair? <laughs> That's fair. Okay, you know what? I don't know if I fully believe this, but let's go 10-7. and seven. Uh, They finished second in the division. And I'm going to say they get bounced in the wild card round. So you believe the Broncos will go 10-7, and seven, finish second place in the AFC West, and earn the number seven playoff seed and get bounced in the wild card round. But given how the Broncos are built now, uh, that would be a very ideal season for them, wouldn't it? It sure would. You know, you gotta put, you got to put the positive juju forward at this time <laughs> of the year too, right? You haven't yeah. seen anybody else really. The Chiefs are the Chiefs, so we'll leave them alone. But, you know, hey, you got to hope for good things. Uh, you both certainly do it. Speaking of hope, how bullish are you on the Broncos' defense this year? Uh, Andrew Mason, a mutual friend of ours, uh, is bullish that the Broncos will have a top-five defense this year, it pro oh. health provided. 
health provided, I am, cannot wait to see what this defense can uh, can bring. This would be the first year that Vic Fangio would have a healthy Von Miller and a healthy Bradley Chubb. And if he does have that and he has that ability, those guys plus Shelby Harris, he's just going to let the backfield go crazy. I think that the pass rush can be just insane. I think the they have the opportunity to have a very dominant defense this year if everybody stays healthy. Um, and so I'm looking forward to it. I'm bullish on this defense as well. I think this can absolutely be a top five defense. Thank you very much once again, Romy Bean. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But stay tuned because in just a few days, our Women in Sports series and our nonstop NFL coverage continue. So stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to follow Romy on Twitter at Romy underscore Bean and on Instagram at Romy Bean. You can also follow me on Twitter at dcrom 59 and Instagram at SportsCrunch with dcrom. For Romy B, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome, stay safe, stay sane, and folks, all 32 NFL stadiums will be allowed to be at full capacity this fall. But if you don't want to wear a mask to the game, please get vaccinated if you haven't done so yet. Take care, cats and kittens, and stay cool. <laughs>